We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Good morning. We good here on sound? Awesome. This is my first time in a church in a while. (laughs) Oh, man, it's beautiful to see uh, the people of God. Um, And I'm thankful uh, for Pastor Grant for for asking me to come here and speak to you guys um, from God's Word. And I believe the Lord has a word for us today. I'm going to read this scripture, and then I'm going to pray for us. Uh, So I'm going to read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. All right, so that's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Um, It reads this way. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He asked, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at, uh, at that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed him mercy, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Let me pray one more time for us. God, speak to your people. Speak through me. God, I pray that you would be glorified and only you would be glorified. God, change the way that we engage the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tell you guys just a few stories about me. Um, and, and, and I, I just want to get this out from jump that I'm going to deal with this text in its, in its context, and I'm going to apply it to the, the national racial unrest, right? I'm going to prepare you for that now, and, um, and I just want to just tell you a few stories from just, just my own personal experience so you guys can get a feel from where I'm coming from. Um, I remember a time... Uh, it was after my freshman year in college, 
um, or during my freshman year in college, I went home to about Fort Lauderdale area, and, uh, and I went to go see a family friend of mine. And so I haven't been there in months, and so I was confused about the area. It was a really nice neighborhood, and so I'm driving down the street. Now, I'm a little bit older than your pastor, and this was a time before, uh, before GPS, right? Um, and so uh, I didn't quite know where I was going, and so I made a wrong turn, and I'm like, no, that's not the right way. So I turned back out, and I found the house. I dropped whatever, or I picked up whatever I had to pick up, and then I, I drove out. On my way out, I see the police behind me. And so I'm aware they're behind me, so, I, uh, so at that stop sign, I made sure I, I, I made a hard stop. The trunk of my car fell, right, and then I hit the gas. And when I hit the gas, I saw the lights behind me. And the police officer pulled me over. And, uh, and when he was telling me why I was pulled over, he said, you looked suspicious. Then he started to question me. He asked me questions that seemed completely irrelevant. Um, have you ever smoked weed before? And I'm like, hey, no, I've never smoked weed before. Look, look, I, 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 I go to uh, University of South Florida. I'm an engineering major. And he said, hey, what school do you go to? I said, University of South Florida. And he said, hey, have you ever smoked weed before? And I said, dude, I, I, I've never smoked weed. I'm a student. Can I show you my, my ID? He's like, no, thank you. When was the last time you smoked weed? And then another car pulls up, another police car pulls up. He asked me to step out of my vehicle. He wanted to search my vehicle. And I'm sitting on a curb on the side of the road. And then he comes over to check me, and he checks me from head to toe, even, even in the waistline of my underwear, on the side of the street, because I look suspicious, I was treated as a criminal. I imagine what people thought when they were driving past me and they saw me being searched by the police on the side of the road. There was another time when I was in the University of South Florida. I was parked in the parking lot, park, parking lot. I had my decal. I had my door open to my car with my foot outside the car, and I was talking on the phone. The police pull up behind my car, perpendicular to my, to my car, and they put on their lights and they pull me over while I'm parked. He comes over to talk to me and he says, or she comes over to talk to me and she says, there's been some robberies in, in, in this area and you fit the description. And I had to prove to this person that I was a student at the school. And I was perceived as a criminal for some reason. There was a time where I parked at the, at, the, uh, at the gas station. I went in the gas station for an energy drink, and I decided I didn't have what I wanted. I walked out, and the clerk followed me out and said, what did you steal? And I said, nothing. I just decided to pay at the pump. And she says, I'm calling the police. Now, I, I tell you these stories because maybe you haven't had experiences like these. Maybe you haven't heard these stories before, but there's so many people with these same exact stories. And I want to tell you that, that this issue that people are crying out about is not a fake issue. I'm a seminary student. I have a bachelor's degree in engineering. And these things have happened to me. And the thing is, in, in, in this time, I think it's important to ask, hey, Christians, the church, how should we respond? And, and oftentimes I hear, just preach the gospel. And that sounds super noble, but it reminds me of the time when the church used to say the same thing. Listen to this quote from Bonds of Wickedness by James Essig. In 1808, a pastor Jedediah Morris said this as he talked about the abolishment of the slave trade. He said, a direct and immediate assault on slavery was unnecessary, he believed, for it would be 
uh, it would be abolished gradually by the diffusion of the gospel principles through America. In his enthusiasm for African missions, his stress on evangelism at, the, at home, and his acquiescence to the prolonged existence of slavery in America, Morse accurately mirrored attitudes that prevailed among many white evangelicals in the North. Just preach the gospel. Here's another quote from Divided by Faith. Uh, it says this, we, we therefore see, for example, that, that through an 1818 Presbyterian General Assembly, they said slavery was utterly inconsistent with the law of God, but they were also sympathetic to slaveholders whom they perceived to be trapped in a moral dilemma. Thus, they recommended that slave owners support the colonization society, give religious instruction, and to the degree possible, avoid the, treat, the, the cruel treatment of slaves. And at this very same assembly, a decision was upheld to dispose of a Presbyterian minister due to his anti-slavery views, largely because they were deemed too radical. Just preach the gospel, and fighting against social issues is not the church's domain. And so when we hear this messaging, I want you to know that they said the, same, the church said the same thing while they were holding slaves. And I think that historically in this country, the church has just had a, a, a poor, uh, has done a poor job of neighboring. I think that's what it is. We've done a poor job of neighboring. And I think that the questions that this lawyer asked exposes some problems in our own heart. So he starts to test Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Before I get started, I want to let you know that I know that a lot of us are well-meaning. This, this uh, teacher of the law was, was not, right? This expert in the law was not. But a lot of us are, are well-meaning, and I'm not saying that, that fundamentally um, uh, we, we are seeking to do harm. I just want to expose what's going on in us. And so Jesus asks, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And, and he says for himself, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. Do you see how important this question is? Jesus is not saying, hey, if you do these things, that will save you. But, but there's no way we can do these things without believing in the gospel, right? Without believing that, that Jesus walked this earth perfectly as fully God and, and fully man. He died on a cross to take the penalty for, for our sin. And he rose from the dead, proving that he's God, freeing us from the slavery of sin and also enabling us to love him. Love your God. So we can't do this apart from the gospel, but, but how do we live out that gospel that we believe? We live it out by loving God, but also by loving our neighbors. We cannot live out the gospel that we believe apart from loving our neighbors. Wanting to justify himself, this man asked, and who is my neighbor? This is a crazy question. Why would you need to ask this question? He, he knows exactly who his neighbor is and is seeking to justify himself, justify himself for probably all of the times that he has not loved someone because he didn't consider them a neighbor. And trying to abdicate himself from his, his responsibility to, to love his neighbor. So he's asking, hey, what, what exactly qualifies a person as a neighbor? What actually makes a person worthy of my love? 
And the crazy thing is, is that I think the church, we've had a similar problem. We have not treated everyone as neighbors. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we sometimes ask the question, who is worthy of our help? God helps those who, who help themselves. Why should I help this person? They put themselves in that position. Maybe he deserved to be treated like that. Did you see his criminal history? And we often try to help in, in, uh, in, in, in ways that aren't completely and, and holistically helpful. We want to meet people's spiritual needs, but not their temporal needs. And maybe there are times, and I'm with you on this, where we lack compassion because of our sin and our blindness. And truthfully, we all need Jesus to ask, answer this question. Who, who is our neighbors and how do we love them? And so Jesus kicks off his, his, his parable, right? He hears the question and he kicks it off and he says, look, hey, there's a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and, and, and he gets met with some robbers and they beat him up and they steal his clothes and they leave him there dying. So the stage is set. And then he paints a picture of these three folks and we have to see how, how they respond. And so you get the first two. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he saw this man. Either he was writhing in pain, or he looked completely dead. Either way, he was in need of help. He saw that man, and he decided to go to the other side of the road. And a Levite saw this man, and he did exactly the same thing. Where is their compassion? How can you see a man dying and decide to do nothing? Jesus is a master storyteller, so he chooses these specific characters because, hey, they should know better. Right? They, they know the law. They, they should know better. But they have absolutely no compassion. They do not care. Beloved, I think we have a similar issue in the church. Look out into the streets. Who are those who are in obvious pain? Why are people marching and, and looking for justice? Could it be that those people, those, the, the, the group of people who have been enslaved and murdered and pushed aside and, and, and murdered and marginalized and murdered and disenfranchised and murdered. And the whole time that we've been seeing these people cry out for help, we've crossed the street to the other side of the road. We've said this isn't, this is a social issue, it's not a gospel issue. When you see a black man murdered on video, it's your instinct to cross the street. Does he live in a neighborhood that disqualifies him from being your neighbor? Does his criminal history disqualify him from being your neighbor? Did he deserve it? When we see children living in a food desert, are they our neighbors? When we see that same group of people lacking uh, funding for education, are they our neighbors then? 
When we see people trying their hardest to get on equal footing because they've been used and raped and murdered without compensation for hundreds of years, only to be freed into a society that made laws to keep them unequal. Because redlining practices has, 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 uh, has stripped them of the ability to, to build wealth. Because their businesses, when they were thriving in the very city of Louisville, they were burned down because many of them have lost hope. Are, are these people our, our neighbors? All I'm saying is this. Don't cross the street before answering that question. So Jesus continues in this story. And, and this time, he, he, he brings up this unlikely character who actually gets it right. A Samaritan on the journey came up to him. And when he saw this man, he had compassion. That's what separates him from the other men. It, it's his compassion. He, he saw him, but, but, but he didn't just ignore him and go to the other side of the road. He didn't just say, oh, that was terrible and keep moving on. He saw him, and the Bible says he felt compassion. He, he felt compassion, and that moved him to action. And so what did he do? He went over to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured olive oil and he poured wine. Then he put him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. The next day, he gave some uh, two days worth wages to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And why do I count these things? I want to show the elaborate, out-of-the-way out love. This man was on his own journey and he stopped and he gave elaborate, sacrificial love to this person because this person was dying. This person needed his help. So why a Samaritan? It's shocking that this story, that he uses a Samaritan as, as, a, as the hero in this story because Jews and Samaritans had beef. Okay, so Jews... Um, uh, would look at these Samaritans as half-breeds. And they were at odds at each other. They hated one another. And so you're fo forcing this Jewish audience to take the example of a Samaritan. And it's beautiful in many ways. One of the ways is that Jesus is showing that, uh, that, that loving our neighbor transcends ethnic and, and, and uh, religious backgrounds. And he's showing that sometimes... People who disagree with us, sometimes they still get it right. And I, and I wonder, as a church, at, at, just like the religious folks, as we look at, at some other people who are actually trying to love their neighbor, right? Who are the Samaritans to us religious people? And I, I look out, and I see people that we would disagree on on almost every issue, right? We might call them liberals, and we see these people out here trying to love their neighbors. Now, granted, I might disagree in ways that they are doing it, right? And I think it's because they don't have the tools to actually love well, right? There's no regenerated heart for them to actually love well. But because they've been made in the image of God, they've seen someone else who's been made in the image of God. And instinctively, they say, hey, that's not right. I need to do something to help. But as a church... We're looking at that example, and we decide not to love our neighbors. And I wonder, how would the world see that God actually loves people if we don't get out and try to help? Right? 
How will people know who God is? How can we just preach the gospel if we have no relationships with people that we're trying to preach the gospel to? We need to love our neighbors. And notice what this guy does, this Samaritan. Actually, notice what he doesn't do. Luke doesn't record any conversation between the Samaritan and, uh, and this man that he's helping. And he doesn't record any conversation, I believe, because none of that matters. When he sees a man dying on the street, he's not looking for a way to disqualify him or qualify him for his, for his help. Right? There's no conversation. And, and, and another thing that, that he doesn't do is he doesn't preach the gospel to this man. Jesus' point when he says how to live out that we are really believers, right? When he says how to love your neighbor, in, in this passage where he's describing what that is, he does not describe preaching the good news. And I'm not saying don't preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. I'm just saying that loving your neighbor, actually meeting their temporal needs, is good. We don't need to condemn people for trying to meet someone else's real felt needs. It's good. Jesus asked us to do that. And when we say just preach the gospel, it is not what Jesus is preaching. Love your neighbor. Help. So what does he do? This, this Samaritan shows us as an example because he, he sees he feels, and then he acts. He sees, he feels, and he acts. And I know that it's impossible to, to feel, to have compassion for everything. Man, if you go on Facebook and you start scrolling, dude, you, you will run out of, out of uh, emotional energy quick because there's too many things to lament. And I'm not saying, hey, you need to act on everything because, man, we don't have enough resources uh, we don't have the ability to fix every single thing. What I'm saying is this. Let's not let our inability to fix everything stop us from doing something. If we see a group of people who need food, right, and all I have is enough for one meal, I can't save the whole group, but I can save one. I, I, I can keep one from starving. And that's way, way, way better than holding that to myself, right? And I think, yes, we don't have all of the relational or the emotional capacity in the world, but we should ask ourselves, hey, hey, Lord, can you break my heart from what I am seeing? And, and ask God, like, ask God, God, what are you calling me to do? And can we ask ourselves that question before we decide to do nothing? Just seek the Lord. Lord, what are you calling me to do? And the Samaritan, he uses everything that he has to love. He uses his oil, his wine, his donkey, his money, his effort. You know, it had to be so hard to, to, to put a lifeless man on a donkey. I imagine someone like going lifeless, and you got to pick this man up, put him on a donkey. But he used his resources. He used what he had. And beloved, we have the resources to love our neighbors. And Jesus, in this parable, he teaches more than what we actually asked for. 
He says, in verse 36, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And that's not the question that was asked. The man asked the question, who is my neighbor? But Jesus answered the question, this is how you become a neighbor. And so if we're asking who, who should we help, we are asking the wrong question, right? Because everyone is a neighbor. Think about it. In this passage, he names the, the, uh, the Samaritan, the priest, the Levite. And who's the, third, the other person in the story? We don't even know how to describe him because Jesus didn't identify him. It's a way that he says, hey, a certain man and anyone, someone, a person, anyone is your neighbor. The question is, how do we neighbor as a verb? How do we neighbor? That's the question that we should be asking. There are no qualifiers for who we love and who we help to live. And for that matter, there's no disqualifier. Well, then Jesus says, go and do. Do you feel that? Like, go and do. It's a command from Jesus. He's saying, go and do. And my, my question, go and do what, Jesus? Tell me what to do. And if we can ask that question, I think that God will answer it for us. I think that's the question we need to ask. Go and do what, Jesus? Tell me. I see, I feel, tell me what to do. Check your hearts and actually ask yourself, how are you feeling about a situation? Are you in the posture of compassion? And ask, what is the Lord calling me to do before we decide not to help? Now, it's difficult to, to see, right? So I, I say see, feel, act, to see as far as, hey, get, get into the place where, where you can actually know who is hurting. And, and that is difficult if we don't have relationships with people who are sharing their experience with us, right? If we don't have relationships with people who, who have experienced a different, a different type of America, right? If we don't have those relationships, it makes it difficult, okay? And so um, there's uh, three dudes, maybe more, uh, John Perkins, Tom Skinner, and Samuel Hines. And in the 1970s, uh, uh, they, they and some other leaders, they created this racial reconciliation movement. And so they, they, they gave four steps to churches on how to pursue racial reconciliation. And, and I bring this up because I think that this is helpful for us to figure out how do we see, how do we feel, how do we act. And these are these four steps. The first step is this. They said this in the 1970s. Different races need primary relationships with one another. Different races need to be in relationships with other people where they are hearing each other's stories. Not just a, a relationships where one person is over the other person, but relationships where they are equals learning from another, sharing with one another. It's the first step. Step two. White people should repent for lack of compassion that they felt regarding this issue and any prejudices or biases that they've felt throughout their lives. Search, search your hearts. And I'm telling you 
that every single person in this room deals with it. So search your hearts. Where are we biased and prejudiced? And repent. Third step. Black people need to do the same thing. For in many ways, that, that over time has developed in my heart where I am generalizing white people or, or there is hatred in, in, in any of our hearts. We, we need to repent in ways that I've been biased and prejudiced. We need to repent. Step three. And that is how racial reconciliation happens, right? But then there's this fourth step. And this is the step that has been abandoned throughout history. And this is the fourth step. Recognizing the social structure of inequality and that all Christians must resist them together. Recognizing the social structure of inequality. There may be some people who are hearing this and are like, what are you talking about? But if we think about it, people who were out overtly racist built this country on top of an overtly racist system and built the, the structure of this nation to benefit themselves. And so, hey, does that still exist? Does that still exist? Well, well, I think it does, and I'll show you how. Look at the city of Louisville. There's black people in one part, there's white people in another part. Poor people in one part, money in another part. Food in one part, no food in another part. Better education in one part, less education in another part. More crime in one area, less crime in another area. In these two separate neighborhoods, there is a life expectancy of a decade difference. How did it get that way? And why is it not changing? Something is wrong. And so we need to recognize those structures, pursue, hey, what, what are these things that are wrong? And then resist them together as a church. And this is the crazy thing. That was back in the 1970s, and we've seen some progress, right? We've seen a lot of things change, but, but in the 1970s, there were people who decided to, to, hey, engage in relationships, repent on both sides, and there's that reconciliation on the individual level. But because they never sought uh, uh, um, to, to resist those structural uh, things, 50 years later, we end up in the same exact place, Right? 50 years later, there's an eruption in our country, and it's like that all of that uh, progress that, that happened between individuals didn't affect society at large. And I'm telling you right now, if we decide to engage our black brothers and sisters, if we repent, we have strong relationships, and we decide to do nothing structurally, 50 years from now, another black person is going to get killed on video. They're going to bring up these videos, and there's going to be more racial unrest in the city, and those people's kids who we built relationships with are going to be at war again. So we have to do something. And as a church, we have removed ourselves from the equation. If the church step in and say, I see this, and I, I, I see this, and it, and it breaks my heart, and if it doesn't, we pray, God, break my heart 
for what's going on. And out of that heart of a compassion, we should be moved to say, hey, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Lord, what are you calling us to do? I think that we will help the world see that God is a loving God. Because right now, when we talk to people, they aren't saying, hey, you know what? Christianity is bad because God is, uh, is horrible. Yeah, there's still people saying that. But by and large, what I see is that people are saying, those Christians have absolutely no compassion. They don't even care. So I'm asking us to just answer the call of Jesus to prove them wrong because we should be the ones that are loving our neighbors. So, beloved, don't cross the street. Let me pray for us. God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, I pray that you would um, just break our hearts and move us to, to what it is that you're calling us to do. Um, God, we, we entrust, we, we entrust uh, uh, this church in your hands and we say, hey, use us. Lord, I pray that those who are grappling with, with what I said, um, that you would, uh, by your spirit, um, begin to uh, open up their hearts to what your word is saying. God, we love you. Help us to love people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. It's a beautiful thing when the Spirit of God speaks through his word and through his servants, you know, and as your pastor, I sat there listening to Jason preach, and the whole time I'm thinking, God, this is what we needed. God, this is what I want us to hear. God, this is what I want us to see. And I know these things aren't easy. I know they're hard. And oftentimes there's lots of pain and confusion. And oftentimes we don't know what to do. Yeah, but here's, here, here's something beautiful that I, I heard Jason say and that I've, I've heard others say. Just do something. Just start somewhere. You know, I, I, somebody asked one time, and I, I heard this conversation, how am I supposed to respond to the evil and the sin of racism? How am I supposed to respond to that? And, and they were asking an African-American brother or sister, and, and they responded with just simply saying, I can't give you the exact thing that you need to do because there's... 1,541 things that you could possibly do. But just do something. And if, if each of us, if each of us didn't cross the street, if each of us did something, each of us cared, if each of us didn't want to say, who's my neighbor, but how do I be a neighbor? and we did that every day, then what Jason's saying about relationships individually and then also 
we would, we would start to change how we look at structures and systems and policies and how we can care for our neighbors by addressing those things as well. Our faith in God who created all peoples in his image and likeness to represent something of his glory and the beauty of who he is. Our faith in that God who one day is gonna bring us together to worship around his throne despite all the ways in which this world seeks to divide us. Our faith in this God who is going to do these things. It's rock solid, it's, it's happening, it's going to happen. Our faith in that God drives us to love our neighbor today. So I'm gonna pray for us one more time and just thank the Lord for what he's done today and ask him to continue to do, do his work in us because we need his spirit, we need his power, we need his grace or we can't become more like Jesus. So let's ask him for it. Father God, I thank you so much for my brother Jason. I thank you for his heart, for all of God's people, for, for people in general, people made in your image and your likeness. I thank you for his family. I thank you for his church. Lord, we ask that you would bless them. You would give them your strength and your wisdom in these days. And we thank you for giving us brothers and sisters in the faith that we can hear from and, and be blessed by and challenged by. And Lord, I hope you use what we've heard today to challenge us and to help us. And I thank you for the work that your spirit is doing right now in hearts and minds and churches across this country. Lord, I pray that you would help us as the church, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, help us to not cross the street. Help us to love our neighbor. Lord, would you give us the wisdom to see how to do that each day. And to trust you that you'll show us. But to have the compassion and the urgency to ask you to do that each day. And then when you show us how, would you give us the compassion, the urgency, the love, and the faith that drives us to do it. Lord, we need to do something. And so God, would you show us that something? Each of us. In the ways that it's gonna look different for each of us. And also the things that we can come together around and do together. Would you help us to see? Give us eyes to see. Lord, help us to love as you have loved us because that's what we've heard about today. You've heard us in our pain. You've heard us in our cries. You have gone after us in love when we've sinned and rebelled against you. You have pursued us and cared for us. 
you have picked us up, redeemed us, healing us even now. So God, help us for your beautiful, glorious, and powerful name.